0: I was, I was uh, debating what to use uh, to illustrate this, and what I had read and found on the Internet, uh, it said, use dum-dums. And I thought, well, I don't want to use dum-dums when I'm talking to kids. Tell them, you know, I have a bag of dum-dums here. I thought Tootsie Pops would be better. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for... The assurance of your presence with us and we just ask that you please teach us from your word now and teach us what you have us to learn we pray in jesus name amen okay last week there were only a few of us here but we did in a manner of speaking uh, begin our consideration of paul's letter to the philippians now, in your bulletin, you—if you can find it among everything else that's in there—there uh, there is an insert on uh, what we considered last week and what we're going to begin to consider today. And I would just like to uh, review very quickly uh, kind of what we looked at last week, although it was it was kind of uh, changed somewhat. But we're going to uh, review very quickly what we considered last week and move into uh, what we have for this morning. Our whole series in this letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian believers, we're calling it Turning Toward Joy, Discovering a Joy that Circumstances Cannot Change. And here in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1, We're looking at the joy of community. And I'd like to uh, read at this point just verses 1 through 8. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel You all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You know, as I've been studying this passage, I realized that the Apostle Paul was from the southern part of the United States. Because he said, you all, you all, you all, several times. I'm just kidding about that. All right, as we begin to look together into Philippians uh, the book of Philippians. I I want to be very clear about this because I believe it's um, important for integrity's sake. I want you to know that what I'm going to be sharing with you as we work through the book of Philippians will be the result of my own personal study as well as readings and commentaries from particularly three different people, Dr. David Jeremiah, Dr. John MacArthur, and Dr. Warren Wearsby. Uh, I have books by these three men, commentaries by these three men, and in addition to my own study, I do glean from these three men, and I want to have integrity and and share that with you. Now, in your notes, uh, in your insert, it speaks of an unrivaled voyage. Back in 1620, as many of us may know from our days of social studies or history, the uh, Mayflower sailed from England and brought to us the uh, seeds of life as we know them here now in the United States. But there was another uh, voyage that was far more important than that one that took place in 52 AD when Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy set sail and brought the seeds of spiritual life to the continent of Europe, and ultimately to the United States. So that voyage was very, very important. As we work through Paul's letter to the Philippians, we are going to see throughout this letter that Paul has great affection, great love, great appreciation, and places great worth and great value on the Philippian believers. And we will see that throughout this letter. He has deep love for these people. He has a loving relationship with them. And as we consider that point, we're, we looked last week, in a manner of speaking, at prerequisites for loving relationships. In verse 1, we noted the, that humility... Speaks of the attitude of love. And Paul is the writer and the sender of this letter. And notice how he introduces himself. He introduces himself as a bond servant or a bond slave. Of all the different things Paul could have said about himself, he presents himself to the Philippian believers as a slave of Christ Jesus. And you know, of all the things we could say, about our relationship with the God of all the universe, the God of all creation, and His Son, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps the most wonderful thing we can say about ourselves is that we are His slaves. What a privilege that is. And slavery, back in the time in which this was written, was very, very different than what we might perceive or even conceive of slavery being. Many slaves became part-owners with their masters. But Paul here, rather than presenting himself as an apostle, as the writer of most of the New Testament, and as a great man of God who was very learned and very intelligent, and so on and so forth, and who had suffered tremendously for the cause of Christ, he simply says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And you know, that attitude of humility is such an exemplary attitude and one that you and I should emulate. In verse 2, we see unity and the atmosphere of love. Paul speaks here about the saints. That would be the congregation as a whole. And then he speaks about the overseers and deacons. That would be the leadership of the church. And you know, yes, we need a certain amount of structure. We need a certain amount of uh, a leadership model in order to accomplish what God has us to accomplish here as a church family. But we must really grasp this truth. No one is better than anyone else. We are one in Christ. We are Tootsie Pops of different colors, of different flavors, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But we are one in Christ, and no one is better than anyone else. And that is extremely important to understand. As we proceed forward, and as you in the future proceed forward, it's very important that there will be responsibilities that will be carried out according to the spiritual gifting that God has given us and according to the ministry that he has entrusted to us. But we're all one in Christ. And I love it here how Paul writes to the saints and then he uses the word including the overseers and deacons. That's like saying, I'm not just speaking to the saints and speaking down to the saints. I'm addressing all of you because you are all one in Christ. And then he uses a phrase that you will see over and over again in his writings to the different churches. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, also in verse 2. There, grace always proceeds peace. There is no possibility of peace with God without the grace of God. It is the grace of God that calls us into his family and into his body. It is the grace of God that saves us, and it is preceding and always must precede having peace with God. And so many people are looking to have peace and they're looking in the wrong places. The only way to have true peace, the only way to have real peace, the only way to have genuine peace is to have experienced the grace of God in our lives. So Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see in verses 1 and 2 also, and also in Acts chapter 16, diversity, the assignment of love. And you have three different phrases here you have Lydia, then you have slave girl, and then you have jailer and family. These were just some of the people that made up the Philippian body of believers. First, we have Lydia. Lydia was a very successful businesswoman. Then we have a slave girl. This slave girl, we see this in Acts chapter 16. That's where we read about this. In Acts chapter 16, we have a slave girl who was demon-possessed, but she was rescued from her demon possession and placed her faith in Christ, just as Lydia, the successful businesswoman. And then we have the jailer and his family. A jailer by nature was a violent, ruthless man. And we read about his salvation in Acts chapter 16. What a beautiful picture. And so these are the people, very, very different, who make up the body of believers in Philippi. And so we see there that there is diversity, which is the assignment of love. And as we look around, we're all very different. We're all different Tootsie Pops. And and so God has solemnly brought us together. And And our diversity is not something that should drive us apart, but rather draw us together. To understand that mangano brings one thing to the table. Fulano brings something different to the table. And we all are gifted by God. And we all together do God's work for his glory. That's why your spiritual gifting is so important. It's so important to know it so that you can exercise it for the glory of God. And that's not bragging. That's just acknowledging the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for how you gifted me. Thank you for showing me where you have gifted me. And now, Lord, give me wisdom to know how to exercise my spiritual gift for your glory. That's diversity. And you know, we can have, and we do have an overlap with with the same spiritual gifts. But because our personalities are different, our spiritual gifting will be expressed in an entirely different way. And that's where the diversity comes in, and that's where we need to not only put up with, but embrace one another as part of the body of Christ. And then we have intimacy, the action of love in verse 3, where Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. One of the greatest evidences of Paul's love for the Philippians was his spirit of gratitude. And I cannot help but wonder if his habit of thanksgiving is the key to his spiritual success. Gratitude pervades all of his letters. Just let me briefly give you some examples. He does it here in Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He expresses his gratitude to his brothers and sisters in Christ. But he does it in Corinthians. He says, I thank my God always concerning you. In Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians, we give thanks to God, praying always for you. Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. To Timothy, I thank God as without ceasing I remember you. To Philemon, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Paul has great gratitude, and we see his intimacy and and his genuine action of love for these people. And not just the people in Philippi, but the people in Corinth and Ephesus and Colossae and the Thessalonica and to Timothy and to Philemon. He has genuine love and gratitude and he expresses it. And you know, that's a good thing to do. It is very, very important to express gratitude to one another. And I really want to encourage you I've seen this happening. I see you expressing gratitude, and I want to encourage you, abound more and more in that. You know, just think of your own children or grandchildren, whatever the case might be. When you express gratitude to them, and you genuinely thank them and praise them, and give them worth and value for what they have done, or the way they're acting, and so on and so forth, I'll tell you, they'll never forget it. And that happens in the church family as well. Look for things for which to thank a person and thank them. We, it seems like, and I'm speaking of myself, I can remember as a, as a dad with children, I can remember always finding time to correct them. They needed it. But did I always find time to praise them. Well, I tried. But that works in our homes. It works with our spouses. It works with our families. It works in the church family. To express gratitude genuinely. And, and, and that's like I was uh, an illustration or an example I've used before. That's like saying, sick them to a dog. You know? You want that dog to, to round up those cattle and bring them in? Uh, our our colleague, we just said Sikkim, and he went. And he did what he was supposed to do. And when we express loving gratitude to others, that really lights a fire under people and encourages them. And then in verses 4 through 8, we see security, the affirmation of love. And what a beautiful thing this is. In these verses 4 through 8, Paul expresses his gratitude to these believers for the way they served together with him. He uses the word participation. For your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says, And I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I affirm you and I thank you for the security that you provided for me and for one another in participating with me from the first day. What's the first day? That was the day Lydia came to Christ. That was the day the uh, possessed girl came to Christ. And it was the day the jailer and his family came to Christ. That was the first day. That was the day the church started. And he says, you have participated with me in the gospel from the first day until now. He's talking about the point in time in which he's writing this letter, which was about 10 years after the church had been founded. He'd written to them 10 years after the founding of the church. And he's writing them and he's saying, man, you guys were there at the beginning. And you're still there. Thank you. And he says, I'm confident of this, that the good work that God began in you back there, he will continue to perfect it until the day you stand before Jesus Christ. And you know, that's what Hope and I want to communicate to you. Now, we've only been here uh, about 15 months. But we have seen your participation in the gospel with us since that day, until now. And we believe with all our heart that God will continue to perform that work in your lives and through your lives till the day we all stand before Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? And you know, we all are going to stand before Christ someday. And the important thing is that we stand before him, acknowledging him, having acknowledged him, as our Savior and Lord and not having to stand before him as our judge. And it all comes down to knowing that there was a point in time in my life that, I, that he worked in my life and showed me my need for him and I responded in faith and became a child of God. And if that is something that's clear in our hearts, and I pray it is, and if it isn't, please speak to me, or if you're a woman, speak to hope, or with someone else with whom you have confidence here. It doesn't have to be us. Anyone to to make sure that you know Jesus. And so that one day, when we stand before him, it will be, thank you, Lord. It's all of your grace. Thank you. And so we acknowledge Him with gratitude, and we, and I, you know, I, there's a song that talks about whether you're going to sing or whether you're going to stand, or you know what I see? I I see myself flat in my face, I really do. I see myself flat in my f- face before God. Thank you, thank you, Lord. It's all of His grace. Well, He began back in my life, well, actually before creation, but. When I came to know Christ when I was nine years old, I'll tell you, those 30 years from then till now have been great. Okay, some of you heard that. Okay, all right. You know, th- those, <laughs> pretty close. But, you know, God, what God started there, and, and you think, think, in that, think of that moment in time when you gave your life to Christ, where by his grace he worked in your life. And brought you into his family. What he started there is still going on. And he'll carry it on till we see him face to face. Wonderful thing to know. All right. Now, having expressed his love for the Philippians, Paul prays that their love for him and each other will continue to grow to maturity. He prays that they will grow in four aspects of their spiritual lives. And I'm going to read now verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, Paul's praying, This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So first of all, we see here, as we look at four aspects of their spiritual lives, Paul's prayer for spiritual growth. First of all, in verse 9, he prays for growth in spiritual devotion. Notice he says uh, here that your love may abound still more and more. He's saying, you Philippians, you're characterized by love. My prayer is that your love may abound still more and more. Uh, that's, a, that's a good prayer. You, you folks, as a church family, have, have some beautiful spiritual qualities. And, and you're to be commended for those things, for how you've allowed God to work in your life. And now, abound still more and more. Don't stop. Don't remain static. Don't remain status quo. Allow God to continue to work and that's where the word abound comes. And more and more, that Paul says here in his prayer in verse 9. And he says that true love, in the context of what he's saying here, needs knowledge and discernment. Now hang on with me for a moment as I say this. We need, to, we need knowledge and discernment because knowledge is based on what we know of God. Discernment is how we apply it. And he's talking in the context of love. That your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment. So, God through Paul, God is saying here, we need to know who to love, and we need to know how to love. Now, hang with me, because a lot of you are, are thinking, as I did as I studied this, well, we're supposed to love everybody. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. But is it feasibly possible? Is it feasible for us to love someone over in China if we don't know him? Yes, but, but no, because we cannot have a tangible input into his life. Is that making sense? And so God in his sovereignty brings people into our lives. We need to be aware Who is God bringing into my life? And who is it that I am to show the love of God to today? Who is it that God brings into my life that I am to show the love of God? And not only who, to whom, but how. How should I show my love to that person today? That's what Paul prays for here. And then verse 10. He prays for growth in spiritual discernment. Notice what he says, that you may approve the things that are excellent. A lot of our choices as believers is not so much between bad and good, though we have those choices granted. Many of our choices, however, are more between what is good and what is better and what is better and what is best. And so Paul is speaking here to these Philippian believers in the sense that, okay, you guys already know what is bad and good. And so you should be beyond that now, and you should be developing a discernment to know what is good, what is better, and what is best. And that is how I would address you this morning. I believe that you have a knowledge of what is bad and what is good. And so we move beyond that. And now, Lord, we need discernment to know what is good and what is better and what is best. And that's what Paul prays here for these Philippians. And this is a good prayer for us as well. We're told in Ephesians 4, 1, that we are to walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And the only way we can do that is if we're into the Word, we are praying, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit of God to direct us. And when we do, we will have discernment. And we will know what is good and what is better and what is best. And I really urge you as as a church family to individually and to collectively allow the Lord to continue to develop a discernment between good, better, and best. You will need it in the days ahead. We live in a very unpredictable world. We live in a world that is very confused. We live in a world where truth has become falsehood and falsehood has become truth. We need discernment, and God promises it to us. And he promises it to us through his word, through prayer, and through the Holy Spirit. And I would add, through each other. And so, in the days ahead, we will need that. And then Paul prays for growth in spiritual development. He speaks again about, be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Sincerity speaks of uh, an absence of of hypocrisy, and blameless uh, refers to having a lifestyle that does not lead other people into sin. The word in the Greek actually is scandalon, which kind of sounds like scandalous, but originally it referred to the part of a trap to which bait was attached, and and we know how traps work. If if you have bait in the trap. It's talking about that place right there where the bait is on the trap or in the trap where the critter comes, and because it is attached to it, tries to get it, and you know the end result. Well, it's speaking about that. It's speaking about that we be blameless. In other words, that we are not acting as the bait on a trap, where other people will be brought into it with bad results. We need to live in such a way that we live with sincerity and blamelessness so that we do not lead other people into a life of sin. And then Paul prays for growth in spiritual deportment. And I admit, I got a lot of this from Dr. Jeremiah, and he likes those things where... Everything starts with the same letter. You know, he talks about devotion. He talks about discernment, development, deportment. Uh, the next one is deportment. Deportment is another, just a fancy name for behavior. And he s- speaks here about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. You know, some of my earliest report cards had a category on there called conduct. That's just another word for deportment. Deportment is just a fancy name for conduct. You know, my parents were more interested in the grade I got in conduct than they were in my academics, with good reason. I've shared with Hope some of the things I used to do. And, and she, she just says, Len, praise God he didn't give us any boys. And, and, and I look back at some of the things I did. <laughs> they were fun, man. But, <clears throat> but, you know, I never got very good grades in conduct. And boy, I was awfully glad when I moved into high school, they didn't have that category. <laughs> but, you know, that is what my parents were concerned about, and again, with good reason. But that's what Paul was concerned about here, for the <laughs> Philippians for their deportment, for their conduct. And he speaks here that their lives would produce the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, we can put on a false face for a while. And in the parable of the wheat and the tares, uh, the wheat and the tares, tares is just another word for weeds, the wheat and the weeds were, were together. And they couldn't even distinguish them. They looked alike. And so the, the owner, the farmer said, Leave it, leave it be, leave it alone until it gets larger. Then it'll be clear. And then when we pull out the wheat, tares will come out, or or vice versa. And that way, by pulling out what we think are weeds now, we won't be destroying the wheat. And so my whole point in this is that we can fool people for a while. But whether we are, whether we are characterized by the fruits of righteousness because we're in Christ, that's lasting fruit. And so uh, I couldn't even be good some of the time. You know, I needed Jesus Christ. And he produces righteousness, and righteous living. And so Paul prays that the Philippians, and by application, you and I would produce fruits of righteousness. Now, if godly living is defined, and it has been defined, as seeking the best interest of the one loved, then Paul's love for the Philippians certainly qualifies. And these Philippian believers were really blessed to have Paul in their lives. I read this past week uh, about a, a Viennese Jewish man by the name of Victor Frankel, And I'd just like to summarize what I read. This man uh, was interned by the Germans for more than three years in different concentration camps, including Auschwitz. His body wasted away uh, on the food, that little bit of food that they were given. Uh, He slept for all these different years on uh, boards, like bunk beds, but on boards that were seven feet wide, and there were nine men in that seven-foot-wide area sharing two blankets. Every morning they were awakened at 3 o'clock, to go to work. And as they marched, often on frozen ground, if you've ever been in Germany, you know German uh, weather can be very brutal. They were marched out uh, many, many times to lay railroad ties for the Nazis. And one day, as uh, the group was walking out, they would help each other so that they would not get beaten or shot. Uh, The man next to Franco said, if our wives could see us now, I do hope they are better off in their camps and don't know what is happening to us. He said that with his collar around his mouth so Franco could hear him, but no one else would be able to. Well, after that brief encounter with that man, these two men would walk out to where they were going to work nearly every day. And without saying a word, they knew that each was thinking about his respective wife. And Frankel tells how in, in the midst of all of that, what kept him going was the image of his wife and her encouraging look and that the love that he knew they shared with one another. And he said one day a a smile actually came across his face. And a thought, he says, transfixed me. And this was it. Love is the ultimate and the highest goal to which man can aspire. Then I grasped the the meaning of the greatest truth that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart. The salvation of man is through love and in love. The salvation of man is through love and in love. And as we think of God's example to us, that unconditional love, as Jesus said, as I have loved you, so also, Love one another. And by doing this, all men will know, you are my disciples. How can we make an impact, and I mean an eternal, lasting impact, in the lives of other people? Love God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor, which means us, and others, as ourselves. And the world will know that you are my disciples. You know, going to the Marinci Town Festival last year was a great thing. I'm praying that we have that opportunity once again. Going through the town of Seneca and letting people know we're here and what we're doing, that's critically important. And together with that, not to the exclusion of those things. Together with that, our love for one another will impact the people in our lives and want and they will want to know more about Christ. That's what Jesus said. And so just as Paul gives us an example here of genuine love, I urge us to love the Lord our God with our all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another by following His example as well. And so as we close here, just a couple questions. Are you a part of the Christian community? We've been looking at the joy of community here. Are you a part of the Christian community as a result of genuine faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? I, I pray, hope and I pray Each day as we pray for you, we pray that that is the case. That you genuinely know Christ. Being a part of the church family, that's great, that's wonderful. Being a part of Christ's body is far more important. Be sure of that. And if you're not, please talk to someone you have confidence with. And then, are you living a Christian life characterized by contagious joy and true love in community with other believers in Seneca Community Church. And you know, to to be characterized by contagious joy and true love will require especially at times a word that begins with S sacrifice. It will take us out of our comfort zone sometimes. It will cause us to do things that we would rather be do something else at that point in time. But because I genuinely love this person, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to show genuine love. I'll tell you, that's contagious. And that will eternally impact this church family and this community for Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this letter. And Lord, I am, I'm excited about going through it together with these believers. And I just pray, Lord, that you would impact us with the truths that we see here. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, at this time, praises and prayer requests. Anyone, please.